for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Thanks, Danny. Welcome to Easter. I mean, welcome to Gateway. Welcome to the North School. But welcome to Easter. And I'd like to spend this next time really just looking at the first Easter, the significance of it in our lives. Because I think sometimes in, in all that goes on, the Easter bunny and the chocolates and, and everything else, and, and that's all good, that's fun, the roast dinners. I mean, we're going to have a roast later and, and all of that. But actually we can lose sometimes just how significant, how significant a moment in history this is. Because those words said there, the resurrection changes everything. And it changes absolutely everything. Jesus changes lives. Jesus impacts lives. Jesus transforms lives. He does. We were singing this morning, we're not just singing words on a screen. We're worshipping Jesus. These are words that are written by those who have encountered Jesus and know him to be a very real part of their lives. And he's fantastic. And that's what we're going to do this morning, is just have a quick journey through that very first Easter, from Good Friday to Easter Sunday, and explore its significance. But before we do, we have to be obedient to God. God speaks. He speaks to us today. And I, I feel God has said today he wants to heal. What is healing? So what? When we struggle, when we suffer with all sorts of things, ailments, illnesses, difficulties, actually God can in a moment transform those, change those, bring wholeness and well-being where there was not. That's the God that we worship. And before I speak about this, I just feel led to pray. So I'm going to ask this question. If there's anybody here this morning who is unwell, and I don't know what it may be, you don't have to say, oh, it's this or it's that, but if there is anyone here who is unwell this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're just going to pray that God would heal. And then we'll see what happens throughout the morning. Is that all right? Good, because we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> so if you're unwell, saying, no, actually, this is something I've lived with. It might be something long-term. It might be something you've just woke up feeling unwell this morning. It may be an ache or a pain, whatever it is. If you would like a healing touch from the king, I'd just like to invite you now to stand where you are. Stand where you are. It's okay. It's a safe place. You might think, whoa, this normally comes at the end. No, we have to be obedient to what God says. And I feel God said, just pray at the beginning. If you need a touch from him, we receive things. I want to invite you just to hold out your hands. Why do we hold out our hands? Because when someone gives us a gift, when someone says, it's an openness, it's saying we're wanting to receive. And I'm just going to pray very simply. Just invite God to heal and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that the resurrection changes everything. We thank you for the life that you bring. 
We thank you for the hope that you bring. And we quite simply now just ask, dear God, that those who have stood, those who are in need of healing, that you would bring healing now to these bodies. We speak healing and wellness now in the name of Jesus. We say sickness, be gone. We say pain and infirmity, be gone. We say difficulty, aching joints, pain, headaches, backaches, whatever it is, we speak to it now and we say, be gone now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Please take your seats. As a family, we've known healing in our our lives. We've had the privilege of seeing many people healed. It's not because we're anything special. It's because Jesus is special. Because it's God that heals. And as we've prayed, if it's something that we've prayed about and you feel, actually, you know, I can test this even now. If you feel God has done something, even this morning, and you just put your hand up, wave out, it's fine. I don't mind being interrupted. Come and say, come and share it. It will be absolutely fantastic to hear. We're going to pray a bit more for healing a little bit later. But seriously, keep testing it. If it's a backache or something, just keep, because God heals. So Easter. I'm going to ask you this question. What would you do for your kids or the ones you love? If you have children, what would you do for them? Anything? Anything. You would probably say that. You would say, actually, if, if, if there is something happening to the ones I love, I would do absolutely anything for them. I want to ask you the flip side to that. If you are a child or someone who is loved... How loved do you know you are? Do you feel loved even this very morning? Do you feel you are accepted and loved unconditionally for who you are? And that's an interesting question to ask in a world where the quest for significance seems greater than ever. The message of how significant we really are can be drowned out in the mixed messages we get surrounding festive times. You see, Easter is all about your significance to God. I heard it put one time, Christmas is about Jesus' birthday, Easter is about everybody else's. I like that. And I get a little bit saddened by the fact that at Easter time, the true message of what it is all about, gets drowned out by chocolate and roast dinners and Easter bunnies and and, and, and lambs and all sorts of things. And they're all good things in themselves. But the danger is they water down, they water down the significance of the resurrection, the significance of the Easter message. And then the world bombards us with all sorts of things and it says your significance is significant because you have a big house. Your house is bigger than the, ne- the neighbours, so you must be significant. You look great. And if you look in a certain way and you, you behave in a certain way, you're going to be more significant than the person next to you. Maybe it's the job that you do. Your significance is found in the job that you do. Well, if I can just get that promotion, then actually people will think of me more. I will be accepted more. That's the world within which we live. Whether you are popular at school or not, am I with the in crowd? I was never with the in crowd at school. I was always the one who got picked last along the line um, when it came to playing football. 
I was all right with that. I was rubbish at football. That's okay. They should have picked me last. In fact, they should have made me sit on a bench. That would have made more sense. What was interesting is one time I turned around, the goalie was throwing the ball out of the goal, and I turned around, I just happened to see this thing coming towards me, and I went like this, whoa, to get out of the way, and it went back into the top corner, and I scored. It was fantastic. And I was just like, wow. And they invited me to join the football team. I said, you're having a laugh, that was a fluke. I said, you put me on a football team, you will lose. They said, but that was an amazing strike. I said, no. I said, I was fearing for my life, and um, the ball went into the net, so there we go. And that was the, the only other time I played football was as an adult and I tore all the ligaments in my leg and um, that was it I, I was out of action for about six months so don't invite me onto your football team I was all right with that but it's interesting at school isn't it that actually we are our name our significance is down to whether we're within the in crowd or not but what if I told you that you were significant for another reason because actually you you simply matter And not just to anyone, but to God himself. What if I told you that there are eyewitness accounts of this God coming to earth to point the way back to him and to repair, to mend the broken relationship between you and him because you today sat here, mattered to him so much that at that point in history, he was willing to go through what we're going to look at, he went through. Because when I read and we go through and we look at what Jesus went through on Good Friday, I want you to hear and to understand that he did that for you. That's what the Bible says. All of this that we're going to look at now was because you matter so much. He cares for you. That's significance. So let's have a look at these three days of Easter. Good Friday is an interesting phrase, isn't it? I was listening to, um, I could overhear one of my kids watching the TV show Outnumbered. Have you seen the, the TV show Outnumbered? And it's quite funny. And uh, what, what, what one of the kids, one of the youngest kids, is there going, well, Mum, Dad, why is it called Good Friday? It should have been called Ouchy Friday or Bad Friday. Or it wasn't very good for Jesus, was it? But it must have been called Horrible Friday. Why do we call it Good Friday? And Mum and Dad were really struggling to explain why it was called Good Friday. Because they were looking at what happened to Jesus. And if we look at what happened to Jesus, actually, for Jesus, I don't think it was a very good Friday. We call it Good Friday, but for him, it was not a good day. As days go, in the history of the Son of God, that has got a rank among the worst. But it is a good day. Because it was good for us. Because what he went through and what he endured was for you and me. He did it on our behalf. So yes, it was not a good day. But it's a great day for us when we look and we get to Sunday. So let's have a look at what happened on that Good Friday. Jesus The Son of God 
Some say he was just a good man, he was just a, a great moral teacher. Uh, we haven't got time to go into that and, and, and say, well, actually, he was much more than that. But this man went around doing wonderful things. Wherever he went, he brought healing and wholeness, well-being. He healed the sick, the blind saw, the dead were brought back to life. He turned mourning into joy. Tears he wiped away. He broke down cultural taboos. He did wonderful things. And then he gets to Thursday night in a garden where he's praying to his father and he's saying, Father, I know what is about to be done. I know what I have to do. But if there is any other way, please. He wasn't looking forward to it. And at that moment, as he stands at some say it was just before, some say it was just after midnight, so we'll start here, Good Friday. He is betrayed by one of those 12 people closest to him. He's looking in the eyes of someone he's walked with, someone he's spent three years with, someone who has seen him perform wonderful miracles and do great things. And this guy has sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. That's how his day begins. Just after midnight, being betrayed by a friend. Sold to the authorities. Knowing all that is to come. That's how it starts. As I was going... I find the Easter message far more powerful than the Christmas message, but I find it a harder one to look at as well. And I was going through it again this weekend, and there were things I'd not seen before. I hadn't realised, because I knew Jesus had been beaten. I didn't realise he was beaten twice. He was beaten by the Jewish people that held him before the Romans got hold of him. So there he is, after an evening and a night in the garden, tired, now betrayed, and he's beaten. The Bible says he was punched about the face and the head. They blindfolded him and they mocked him. Come on, you think you can prophesy? Tell us who hit you. by people he'd come to save, by people he'd come to help. People like you and me. And then this all happens before he's crucified. He then has a trial before a guy named Annas. He then has another trial before Cyphus and part of the Sanhedrin. Then he goes before the full Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a council of 70 people. He's now on trial before 70 people. Wow. (laughs) Around about sunrise. This has been his night so far. He's tired. He's betrayed. He's beaten. He's being tried unfairly. He then endures the Roman trials. 
He goes before Pilate. He goes before Herod. He goes before Pilate again. You can read these through the various gospel accounts. During this time, the Romans don't know what to do with him, so they think they'll punish him further. So he is then, he is mocked. They take a crown of thorns. We did have some images, but we, 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 we've had a, um, a technical issue with getting them up. So um, I'll show you. a crown of thorns, thorns that were over an inch long, thrust into his head to mock him because he claimed to be king. The Romans then said, well, we will punish him. We, we, we can't find fault. We won't kill him, but we will punish him. So they flogged him. And Roman flogging was not a pleasant experience. It was, des- it was, it, it was, it was devised to bring people to the brink of death. You would have up to 39 lashes with this Roman whip. I'm sorry if this is gruesome, but this is what Jesus endured. We talk about Good Friday. This is what happened. These are the facts. A whip with leather, and into that leather would have been pieces of metal, uh, pieces of, of stone, something that would just grip as the leather hit the flesh. And as they pulled the whip back, it would pull flesh with it. And Jesus was lashed so hard, he couldn't stand. He was flogged. Then the Romans set about beating him again. They blindfolded him and they hit him. At least if you can see, you can roll with the punches. You can try and dodge. But when you're blindfolded, you don't know what's coming. I remember being on an um, insurance trip once when I was a, a young lad. I worked for an insurance company. Went away for a training thing. And uh, some of the guys wanted to go out drinking for the night. And, and I said, no, really, that's not, not what I want to do. I just want to get an early night. And we've got a big day tomorrow. And halfway through the night, the gay guys came back completely wasted into the room. And before I knew what had happened, bang, they were on the bed, bang, punching and just and I couldn't see a thing. I just, before, and it all happened in a minute. It was so quick. You can't defend yourself in the dark. <laughs> you can't do it. I have no idea why they did that, other than the fact I said, no, I didn't want to go for a drink, and they wanted to get drunk. That's it. That's the only explanation they gave the following day. We don't know why. We don't know why these guys did it, but sometimes people do these things. They get enraged and they start to pound on people. And this is what was happening to Jesus. Not because they'd found fault in him. They just got carried along with the crowd. And he was a victim of this. He is now so weak that they were giving him his cross to carry. His own cross (laughs) to carry, to be crucified that he couldn't carry it, so they give it to someone else to carry for him. They then took him to the cross. They put nails, about six inches in length. They drove him through his hands and his feet. And they hung him on a cross for all to see. 
that's Good Friday. And there he is hanging. And even when he's hanging, there are two crosses, one either side of him. And there's a guy on one cross, and he is mocking him. He is making fun of him. Come on, you think you're the son of God. You think you're so good. Why don't you just get yourself down from here? And there's a guy on the other side who says, do you know, not know what you are saying? Do you not know what you are doing? And he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you're coming to your throne? And he had seen something. He knew who Jesus was. This man who had been betrayed at midnight, who had been beaten in the early hours, who had been tried several times, who had been through all that he had been through, is hanging on this cross, and someone is turning to him and saying, will you forgive me? And do you know what Jesus says? He says to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That is the heart of Jesus. That in the midst of all the suffering, all that he was going through, he was so concerned for that one on the cross who said, will you remember me? Jesus says, of course I will. In the midst of it all. When I got out of that bed that evening, after those guys had come, I I did not have the grace... To have been able to say to any of those, I, I, I was spitting blood. I mean, literally, I was spitting blood. <laughs> I was cross. The following morning, I dealt with it. The guy said to me, um, the guy who was running the, insur- the insurance centre, he said, why didn't you come to us first? I said, no, I wanted to report it because I wanted justice. I wanted it dealt with as soon as I possibly could get. Jesus is hanging on a cross. He is the one who could claim, he could demand justice be done right here, right now. He could say, Father, this is it. Bang, look at what they're doing. But he didn't. Do you know what he did? He hung there and he said, you're forgiven. He then looks upon the crowd. The crowd that have beaten him. The crowd that have bade for his blood. And do you know what he says? He says, Father, please forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. He forgives a prisoner. He forgives the crowd that have bade for his blood that have led him and put him on the cross. He then, hanging on the cross, he takes on board every bit of dirt, every bit of filth, every bit of wrongdoing that you and I have ever done or ever likely to do, that anyone has done throughout history. He takes it all, the penalty for it all, upon himself. As the Father, it says, the Father poured his wrath Upon Jesus. It says all that Jesus had been through that day, that did not compare to the moment that Jesus was on the cross and the Father finally turned his face away because he said, The judgment, the penalty for sin, for wrongdoing, for turning your back on me, people, is actually that God, you are separated from him and he turns his back. And it says the Father turned his face away from Jesus that moment. And that was the moment where Jesus cried out, He said, My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? That was the moment where it became too much to bear. He breathed his last and he died. That's Good Friday. 
When we talk about Good Friday and carrying the crosses up the high street and all that we do, we are doing it in celebration of this point in history, a true point in history that is documented historically. That is fact that this man, Jesus, who claimed to be God, who was God, the son of God, he came to this earth and that's how he was treated and that's what he did because he loves you today. That's Good Friday. Then we get to Saturday. Saturday's a funny day. We don't talk about Saturday very much. There's not much of Saturday in the scriptures. Other than somebody says, actually, we think the disciples might steal the body, so can we get a Roman guard there? So they place a guard outside the tomb where Jesus has been laid to make sure that no one nicks the body. So a guard was placed outside the tomb. But this must have been an interesting day for all the disciples. And, and indeed, anyone that had witnessed what had happened. I think on that day, there would have been much despair and much sorrow. But there would have also been happiness and satisfaction. Those that had wanted him dead now had their wish. They'd bathed for his blood and they'd got it. They would have felt that they had got it right and justice had been done. But those who had believed and had started to follow Jesus and said, actually, you are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. You are the one who's going to turn my life around. You're the one who's going to transform everything. All of a sudden, they would be shocked and disappointed. This Jesus who'd come to rescue them, who was going to overthrow the authorities, come riding in, in power and in might. He's dead. How could he have died? How could he have died so horribly? They would have been fearful. And some of us, we can actually spend our lives living in Saturday. We can. Maybe something has happened in your life and you're thinking, is God really real? I thought God was going to come and do it this way. I thought it was going to happen. No, it hasn't happened. God isn't there. Oh, God's not there anymore. Others are living in satisfaction because they believe they've buried God. He's not alive. He's not real. We've disproved him. Evolution, fantastic. We can disprove God. He doesn't exist. Look at all the evidence. It's stacked against him. We've buried God. Are you in that place? Where maybe you've cried out to God and he didn't answer in that way. And you think, actually, God, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. Okay, now you're living in that place of despair and, 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 and hopelessness. And you say, I, I don't know, where is God? What has happened? Are you in that place where you're scoffing? You're saying, well, actually, they buried him, didn't they? He's dead, he's gone, that was it. That's history, that's ancient history. It's just a nice story we tell our kids, or not such a nice story we like to tell. Is that what you're thinking? But the thing with Saturday is, it's followed by Sunday. It's followed by Sunday. In Matthew 28. Verse 1. It says, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. So this is Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. They were sad. They were disappointed. They were despairing. They came to look at the grave. And it said, behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. 
and his appearance was like lightning, and his garments as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. But he is not here, for he has risen Just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. And then he says, go, go tell people, go tell people what has happened. And then after that day, Jesus, he he appears. He appears to the disciples. He appears to them. He has fish with them on the beach. He appears to over 550 people over the period of, of six weeks, documented. Eyewitness accounts. This Jesus, whom they thought they'd killed, whom they thought they'd buried, was alive. He was risen. Easter Sunday is an amazing day. There were things on this day that turned the lives of the followers of Jesus absolutely upside down. On Friday, they were in turmoil. On Sunday, they were spinning again. But they were spinning again for all the right reasons. Because finally, he was alive. Do you know what? Not even death could hold this guy down. He had been beaten. He had been tortured. He had gone for 24 hours without sleep, bloodied and bruised. He was smashed and broken for you, for me. And do you know what? It couldn't hold him. He was put in the grave. God said, no, the grave doesn't hold me. I'm getting up. You think the wages of sin is death? Well, death can't beat me. Therefore, sin doesn't beat me. Therefore, I conquer sin. Therefore, you come to me as a sinner, I can put to death that sin because I've done it for you and you can know life. That's the message of Easter. These disciples start to encounter Jesus. Not his dead body. They're not going to a tomb and worshipping something lying in a coffin. They're worshipping a risen king. That's why the cross that's here is empty. Also because it would be bad taste to have someone hanging on it. But, but when you see pictures... Sorry, I didn't need to say that, did I? Look, my wife has got her head in her hands. Um, <laughs> When you see images of the cross with Jesus still on it, that's only half the picture. You're living in Friday or Saturday. Because the cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. The right hand of the Father, the throne is occupied. Jesus occupies it. And he's as alive today as he was then. And death and sin and the power of sin have lost their sting. He didn't need to come riding in on a war horse to do battle with the Romans because he did battle with the things that you and I can never win victory against. He was able to conquer death. He was able to break the power of sin. He was able to end its hold over us. He was able to settle the debts that have been racked up. My debt, your debt that has been racked up against God, the offence to God, he settled that debt that weekend. And he made the way clear for each and every one of us to know God, even today. To know and have a relationship with him. Can we show the second video quickly? We're all right. 